dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in God's country crops far as I can see headlights on both ends of my day this country life is for me ride with us HPJ ride with us Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Midwest Ag Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Associate Editor Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Associate Editor Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, we're back in the studio this week for our regular episode of HPJ Talk. Kayleen, how was your Easter? It's pretty quiet. Oh, yeah? Until we got to my sister-in-law's and... Then it was just loud. <laughs> That's got to be like a, a really big awakening for your two boys to to get dumped into a lot more kids. Yeah. <laughs> they have seven kids, and so it's always loud. But the youngest two are really loud. I think my two rubbed off on them. And they saw how loud they could be. So, yeah. Um, totally understand. I spent Easter with um, the fellas' side of the family. Anytime we get together, it's a lot of conversations all going on at once. And my little dog, Maggie Mayhem, she comes with us because she's pretty good about finding a lap and sitting on the lap and staking out her claim to said lap. (laughs) She is a lap dog. Is it your lap or somebody else's? It's usually either Garrett's lap or if he or I are busy, then it's Garrett's dad. (laughs) And... I've never seen a man so more enamored with a dog like that. He just, she's a little white miniature schnauzer, and he just thinks the moon rose rises and sets on Maggie. <laughs> Does he have his own dog, though? No, he really wants one. And Garrett's mom, to her credit, has always been very welcoming to Maggie. And, you know, she's she's not really... I guess not really a dog person, (laughs) but she doesn't mind my dog crashing the party. (laughs) As long as she doesn't crap on the floor. Exactly. (laughs) The minute she she acts like a turd in the punch bowl is the minute she goes home. (laughs) But, um, and who had under three minutes for our first poop joke? (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) um, Easter usually means, or any type of family gathering like that, I like to help Garrett's mom in the kitchen because it's fun for me. I like cooking and and putting things together. It's not work. It's it's kind of fun. It's not torture. No. So, and she and I can have a good conversation while we're doing that sort of thing. And so it's, it's fun that... That her little tiny kitchen, we can cram at least seven people in there, <laughs> all talking and stirring at once, it feels like. Because that's where everybody congregates. It is, it is. But it was a good Easter weekend. We had a good time. Yeah, it was really relaxed. Honestly, I didn't even get the kids Easter baskets because they're too old for Easter baskets. Yeah, the, the Easter bunny at my house is not doing a very good job of hiding <laughs> the stuff because the... <laughs> The leftover plastic eggs were in my room, and the boys were like, well, whose eggs are those? I was like, they're mine. The Easter Bunny brought those for me. (laughs) And then when we got to my sister-in-law's house, I had to help stuff the eggs. Mm -hmm. And it was about almost 90 degrees, so the chocolate all melted with the (laughs) eggs that got hidden. So it was 
a rush to eat all your chocolate. You know, one of these days, I'm actually going to put together an adult Easter egg party where the eggs are filled with tiny bottles of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> now that is a party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, um, let's see. What else did I do? Hey, I planted my annuals, my flowers. I got a good head start on that. I've expanded my flower garden. So, yeah, I, I'm, it's this is going to be a two or three weekend project. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you about the rock garden excursion so this is part of it i mowed around our house but haven't finished the rest of the yard so it's gonna be a task all the (laughs) dandelions already popped up hey i mowed last saturday and i probably should not have waited two weeks to mow because (laughs) it was already about mid knee high yeah yeah i almost lost the dog in it (laughs) so i've been needing to get a new weed eater and actually i had a weed eater and Garrett the fella decided, well, I can go and take a look at that and fix it. Well, that was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. So I asked him, hey, where is my weed eater? And he goes, oh, honey, we threw that away. <laughs> oh. Would have liked to have known that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so I, um, when we were back home for, for Easter, I said on our way home, we need to stop by Walmart and pick up a new weed eater. And he go, we go in there, and of course he's looking at the gas-powered ones, and you know the the big hunk and horrible big bulky things that have big, you know, engines and that have two straps. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, a of all, I don't know how big you think this yard is, but it's not that big. <laughs> and b of all, I don't need to have like an OSHA rating on a weed eater in order to operate it. Yeah. So, well, I bought my husband one a couple years ago for Father's Day. And does he use it at the farm? Uh-huh. It doesn't see very much use at our house because he managed to spray everything around the edges. So mm. <laughs> Lord only knows where the weed eater ended up. I sure hope it's at the farm. Well, so Garrett, we get back to, to his place and uh, we're bringing in food out of the truck and everything and putting stuff away. And he comes in carrying the weed eater box. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to put it together for you. Oh, Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen. Did you say thank you or did you just think thank you? Well, I said thank you. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a perfectly capable of doing that myself. I know. Now I, think under, now I think I understand what he's doing. Part of it is he loves me. I get that. That's how he shows love. And about 70% of that is I don't want her to hack off a toe or accidentally <laughs> hurt me if she puts this thing together wrong. It's a weed eater. You can't hack off a toe, can you? Have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like you don't know me, Kayleen. (laughs) Well, hey, um, gosh, it feels like I've been on the road a lot um, this week. Last week I was at a multi-county beef meeting down in Dumas. You know what's fascinating for me is pounds of beef in the United States continues to rise that we're producing, but the price has stayed relatively steady. So what uh, the economists were saying is that we have this perfect storm of dairies dispersing cows into the lean beef, ground beef market, and that we also have great domestic demand from all the fad diets like keto and paleo and all of those that want lean protein. So basically, you know, uh, CrossFit is keeping the beef industry alive. (laughs) (laughs) Because you need some protein to keep you alive. (laughs) Exactly. Have you gotten in on any of those fads? No. 
No. Do I look like I've got in on any of those fads? I I like my beer and my red meat too much, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm a Weight Watchers girl for now. You know, it worked for me in the past. It's going to work for me again. So lean beef is part of that whole um, mantra. Of course, lean chicken and lean turkey are zero points. Ground, you know. Yes, um, they are. Of course they are. Beef, however, no matter how lean, is still worth a point. What about pork? Pork, too. And it's one of those things that kind of bugs me about the program. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But I still know that I like to have a well-rounded diet, so I don't, I don't eat all chicken. I don't eat all turkey. I do like turkey um, sausage because I just like the taste of it a little bit better, and there's less grease. So I'm, I'm on board with that. But if I'm going to have a choice between a, going out to eat and having a, piece, a, a nice steak or steak kebabs or something like that versus a piece of chicken piece of chicken breast <laughs> you can bet mama's gonna moo yeah <laughs> dead cow all the way dead cow <laughs> i just plugged the points in uh what else did i see this week well i listened in on a labor webinar yesterday put on by farm foundation kayleen i don't know if you were if you were here or if you were already off to to lunch when i was starting to, to talk about that but Here's the gig. <laughs> we in ag know that we have this labor issue going on right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think, oh, it's all about immigration. Nowhere in this seminar did they talk about immigration. Mostly it's about how to find them, how to find employees, how to retain good employees, and how to make sure that they are compensated at a level that wants to that they want to stay there. Yeah. So I hate to say this, but the room was from what I could see on the webinar was that stereotypical (laughs) older, paler, and maler. (laughs) And here's the thing. I get it. You know, American agriculture, we have this stereotype of we're not very ethnically diverse. Yeah. And I I, I get that. But at the same time, agriculture kind of has to start realizing that ag labor isn't just hiring a kid down the road to buck bales in the summertime. It takes a lot more than that. It does. And if you're going to have a large operation and you're going to need a a hired hand, maybe let's not call them a hired hand. Let's call them an employee. Yes. And or multiple employees. And let's treat them as if you are the business that you want to be treated as. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, they talk about how it's not a family farm. It's a, it's a business, right? You know, we want to, we want to put on the business suit jacket and everything. Except we still keep treating it as if it's a family operation and you're just hiring somebody down the road to help you out here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. When reality is, if, you, if you're going to be a business, then you're going to have labor issues and you're going to have human resources issues. You need to have, you know, you need to talk about policy, about how do we act in the workplace yeah. or, and things like that. Have you seen the new show on the History Channel, The American Farm? I haven't caught it just yet. Have you? I've watched three episodes, I think, and they have, the families they've shown so far, there's been a group in Idaho, there's a black farmer that's in the Carolinas, I Mm -hmm. can't remember which one, maybe Georgia, somewhere on the east side of the map, and there was another one that's in Alaska. Okay. Pretty diverse farms. Yeah, they are, just by the the crops they grow and the things they do, and Mm -hmm. It's pretty neat to see the the issues that they're all facing that are kind of generally the same. 
No matter where you're at. Yeah. I think what, what kind of bugs me is a lot of these questions were, well, we just need to know how much to pay. It's all about compensation. It's all about compensation. Well, no, because now you've got millennials coming into the workforce. You've got Generation Z right behind them. You've got Xers like us and Gen Y like us, you know, on that cusp between the two. And one of the big things that agriculture is going to have to figure out in the next five to 10 years and sooner, quick, fast, and in in a hurry if they can, is that we've got baby boomers that are aging out quickly. Mm -hmm. And they're not planning for them to age out. The baby boomers themselves are, are still acting as if they're going to go on forever and they're not transferring their, their generation or their years of knowledge to the next generation of workers. They're not mentoring younger people mm-hmm. in the workforce. They're not making way for other people to take on more leadership in the work environment. And that causes people to leave. Yeah. One of the speakers said is we have to... You have to kind of look at this as valuing them or show that that they have value in your organization. So you lean to listen to their ideas. You know, maybe ask them for input. Have and create an environment where they have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And that just makes sense. We see it every day, don't we? Yeah. There's I've always heard the comment that farmers never retire. Right. And I mean they've worked their whole lives at something. Why should they have to retire? I mean, right. it's their farm, it's their deal, and I don't know <laughs> what I want to say about that, but, you know, if they want to stay, stay on. If they're declining mental health, if they're having issues as far as that goes, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's need to pass it on, but if they want to do it, let them do it. Well, and we're talking, you know, you're talking about on the farm level. Yeah, on the farm level. You know, there's agribusinesses out there yeah. that are facing this, small and large scale. You know, it goes everywhere from the local John Deere dealership Mm -hmm. um, all the way up to, you know, big organizations. Corteva was um, on this panel. And so they're looking at a lot of their um, field guys that have been around for a couple of generations of farmers to help them, you know, with their their needs. They're getting ready to retire and and head on to a a boat in Boca. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so what do you do? (laughs) Not only that, but then realizing that you've got a very a much more diverse school children than we ever saw in the last 30 years and going out into those schools and showing them a a fluffy chick and calling that agriculture is one thing but talking to them about embryology and how do we how do we produce eggs and you know what 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 type of science goes into growing chickens and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing showing them that there are a vast array of of job opportunities in agriculture and in in ag's umbrella we don't do that yeah even my own kids they don't know a whole lot about embryology we don't have chickens at our place i do not like chickens but that's beside (laughs) the point and i always try to make them you know question things and Mm -hmm. like where do eggs come from well you don't want to hear what the oldest says where they come from but they come from chickens not the grocery store the same goes for the milk and they've seen calves being born so they know where the the calves come from but see that's just still focusing on the production aspect i mean think about it a lot of those kids and and we have a vast array of urban kids and kids of color and, um, you know, all, all different aspects of, of 
you know, male and female, all, all types of kids out there that could go into ag careers that could be the next people to figure out, you know, bring us the next green revolution. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of brain power out there that we're just wasting away because they don't realize that there's computer science in agriculture. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that there is biology in agriculture, that there is conservation jobs in agriculture and yeah. and this whole gamut of them. And so I, I think that's what really got to me about that that webinar is the thought of we're we're kind of wasting away these really good years. Yeah. There's some kids that I recall in my class in high school that they could not wait to get out of Dodge City fast enough, mm-hmm. and they went and got their degrees, and some of them came back and are working in agriculture, you know, in, in jobs like that you mentioned. Yep. And, you know, a packing house needs a chemist. They do. They need different types of these science degrees, and, you know, working at the packing house isn't beneath you. Well, I mean, somebody's got to make sure the food's safe and make sure everything goes through the process the way it's supposed to be. Well, and part of the thing is, is people don't realize that it, if you're looking at a rural community's economic development, it's not just, I mean, granted, the farms are a big part of Main Street, Mm -hmm. the bank on Main Street, the doctor, the veterinarian, the school, those are big parts of it. But if you're going to bring people back, then start looking at the job opportunities that could grow. And maybe it is bringing back a chemist for uh, the for for doing testing out at the plant. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. So yeah. I think what was best for me is kind of opening up my eyes. Anytime we go and do these stories, anytime we go and, and sit in on a meeting, don't you ever come away going, we could do this better. We yeah. could do this a different way. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, hey... Um, Let's see what else. Hey, you guys are starting to uh, get in the field to plant corn out there. I'm starting to see some reports on ag Twitter that you're doing that. So be careful. And if you're not one of the people that are moving equipment up and down the highway, please be respectful of those that are. Yeah, <laughs> I had to go around a combine today. <laughs> you know what? Um, it's just that time of year. Um, just remember, they're trying to feed you and a couple of million Chinese people. So... <laughs> Next week, I'm headed to the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Winter Wheat Tour. So Kayleen's going to be in the office, and we're going to have a a wheat-centric podcast next week. (laughs) It should be fun. (laughs) Maybe Um, maybe you'll get some muddy boots. I am most definitely going to get muddy boots because I was looking at the weather report, and it's going to be rain all across the state of Kansas. Do not cuss the rain. That's what I tell my children. (laughs) I'm not going to cuss it. Because you never know when you're not going to get it. (laughs) Yeah. God will turn off that spigot. You will just watch him. (laughs) Or we'll get it all at once. (laughs) Hey, how's the piggies? They're good. They're good. I purchased a hog feeder that has not been put together yet, and we need to revamp the plan we had for the pin so the pigs can come home hopefully they'll come home this weekend did the pig pen handle the wind yeah the pig pen's fine oh good <laughs> and the goats they're surviving so the the dogs still won't leave them alone but there's less barking now so and i'll have to i don't remember if i told you the story about the goats when we were trying to you know halter break them and lead them a little bit does this involve a rope Yes. <laughs> no, please share. We bought halters for these goats. They're not halter broke. The one's kind of tame. The other one's a dairy goat that's kind of a, a buddy for the meat goat that okay. my son's going to show. And 
the dairy goat's a little bit of a spaz and likes to jump and is it a boy dairy goat or a girl no, they're dairy both goat? girls okay so are you gonna have to milk this thing no oh, she's okay. she's the same age as the as oh the okay goat, so we so have a... about the same size okay and <laughs> my husband and i chased him around the yard one night because he thought it would be good to take him from pen to pen in the dark at nine o'clock at night so he really hasn't ever worked with small animals before has he not goats <laughs> Well, we got them in the pen safely, and we got them to town for weigh-in and everything. And the next night, I told my oldest, Sean, I was like, we probably ought to start working with these goats so we can get them to lead. And he had the foresight, this seven-year-old boy had the foresight to say, maybe we ought to put them in the round pen in case they get loose. <laughs> I'm like, good idea. Let's do that. Look at him. <laughs> Which is amazing for this kid, but it is what it is. I hope you rewarded that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get yelled at for about 10 seconds. <laughs> but we got him in the round pen and kind of led led the one around for a while. And the youngest figured out where we were at and wanted in there. So I had to let him in. And then he wanted to lead the dairy goat, which she's having no part of leading. <laughs> and then he proceeds to let her go in the round pen. Uh-huh. So... Sean, trying to be helpful, lets his goat go. Oh, because that's helpful. Yeah, because that's the thing to do. (laughs) And we try to chase him around, you know, kind of get him herded up in the corner of the round pen, whatever whatever that is. (laughs) Couldn't get him. And finally, I said, this is not going to work. Didn't say it in those words, but (laughs) I went and got the rope and finally caught one. He, the rope, she dove through the loop and I got a heel. So you healed. I caught caught one. You healed a goat. Yes, I did. (laughs) I caught one. And Sean got a hold of her. And so we tried to catch the spaz. And that didn't go very well. And in the process, Sean let go of the goat that I had caught. (laughs) Sean, honey, you always hang on. When they're that little, you don't get drugged. Yeah, she only weighs 45 pounds. They're not going to drag you. She's not going to hurt you. You're okay, bud. So I tried to rope the other one and just couldn't get it done. And we finally got the one, the other one caught again. And he decided that he was going to dive for one and finally caught a leg. So <laughs> after about 30 minutes, these poor goats thought they were going to die because they got a little <laughs> bit of a cold from the last time it was uh-huh. cold. So, yeah. They got their exercise. They sure did. I thought they were going to die. Did I ever? I told you about when I was a kid and we raised, well, I raised sheep for 4 H. Yes. And uh, my dad, you know, you have to dock tails mm-hmm. and um, take, care, take care of the boy ones too. Yeah, we had sheep when I was a kid too. Yeah, well, dad is okay with cutting bulls into steers, but he doesn't really like that with sheep. So we use the bander. <laughs> And so this little rubber band, for those of you out there that have never done this, it's about the size, the little rubber band's about the size of your thumb, like the the diameter of your thumb. And there's this expander and expands it out and you put it over the tail or the scrotum and you let it go and it snaps on and it cuts off the blood circulation until that part of the tail or the scrotum falls off falls off naturally it's um it's kind of painless for the animal because it just numbs it and they don't realize that there's no blood flow and everything's fine it's actually supposed to be a more humane way to do it 
Well, and all dad knew was he had to do this once and then he didn't have to futz around with them again. <laughs> now, this means that you'd go out and do chores one day and there's a tail in the middle of the thing. You know, you're like, <laughs> so-and-so lost their tail. Oh, we got tails coming off. Yay. <laughs> well, I was trying to catch one of the lambs who still had his tail. And I reached for a back leg and I came up with something. And the sheep left away. And I thought I still had his leg. And I started screaming until I looked down and realized I had his tail. <laughs> I had assisted. Did you freak out? Um, I freaked out. <laughs> Mom still tells that story. <laughs> I think she laughed so hard she had tears running down her legs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, hey, folks. Um, this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories that you might have missed in the April 22nd print edition. We've got a chat with our senior field editor, Larry Dryling, about what's going on at the USDA. And then Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have some final thoughts. So if you're out in the uh, field planting right now, why not let the auto steer take over? Turn up your Bluetooth speakers in that tractor cab, make another round, and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's edition was a split cover between our High Plains Journal and our Midwest Ag Journal. In HPJ, Jennifer brought us a story about the U.S. Canola Association's partnership with the Honey Bee Health Coalition to create a list of best management practices for pollinator health in canola fields. By taking this proactive step, canola growers and honey beekeepers can show that they are working towards solutions for farmers and pollinators and reduce the chance that regulation will be forced on them, explained Rob Running, USCA president. In the Midwest Ag Journal, managing editor Dave Bergmeier brings us a story about proso millet, which is starting to grow on researchers and growers as a crop that will produce the most pounds with the least amount of water. This ancient crop has found a resurgence in demand for the snack bar industry, as it does not contain gluten. Colorado, Nebraska, and South Dakota produced 14.3 million bushels at a value of $45 million in 2017. On our Opinions and Editorial page, 4B, copy editor Jennifer Thewer writes about learning to drive a standard transmission. And Seymour Clearly writes to criticize the new emphasis on cliques over caucuses among the incoming freshman U.S. House Democrats. And Roger Allison, a cattle farmer and director of the Missouri Rural Crisis Center, writes a letter to the editor about the overreach of Missouri Senate Bill 391, which would, quote, strip local control from rural counties taking away our right to protect ourselves and our neighbors from the negative impacts of corporate-controlled industrial livestock operations. He argues the bill is state governmental overreach at its worst. Remember, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. High Plains Journal, Midwest Ag Journal, is working on our first cattle U and trade show July 31st and August 1st at the United Wireless Arena here in Dodge City, Kansas. Subscribers receive a discount code for reduced registration. 
The two-day event will feature 20-plus breakout sessions, keynotes, and more. To register, visit cattleu.net. Well, today on HPJ Talk, joining us over the phone, Senior Field Editor Larry Dryling, who is going to talk to us today about a lot of things, and a lot of things are happening in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Welcome, Larry. Well, hi. Hi, Jenny, and hi, Kayleen. So, we've got a big, big deal going on with uh, disaster relief. Explain to us where we are on getting some disaster relief, we, especially with our, our neighbors to the north that have had to deal with floods. What sort of things can they expect in the next couple of weeks? Well, right now we're still waiting on Congress to come back from vacation. Right now, uh, they will, they're planning on being back first part of next week. All the while, we've got a very large group of farm organizations as well as most of the farm credit banks here in the country, as well as independent community bankers. They're um, calling on uh, President Trump and the Congress to put aside their political differences and start uh, supplying uh, some relief uh, efforts here. So now, didn't we have a relief bill on the floor of the Senate and something happened? Yeah, it uh, has nothing really happened because of the House. Which okay. is, uh, and, and so the House has one thing, the Senate has another. They have to find their differences. The differences primarily center around losses you know, on Puerto Rico and to helping them. There's, the, there's close to $91 billion needed uh, for Puerto Rico by most estimates to try to help them recover. The president has only wanted to fund some, but not all even though he has claimed, and I'll mention that in an upcoming editorial, that he's given more money to Puerto Rico than any other, any other president before or sent before. There's some dispute to that. There's also losses, not just, to, you know, you think about Nebraska, and they had losses at Offutt Air Force Base, for example. Yeah. You know, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, has been waiting to get help. And all this stuff is tied in the, we got the wildfires in the West, the volcanoes in Hawaii. There's a variety of different situations. And so we're looking at close to two years of disasters that uh, are not being funded. And uh, so- That's a long time to wait. It's a long time to wait. And uh, a lot of people are getting kind of kind of angry. Uh, that's why I'm, going to be very interested to see what will happen here in the next week, especially as members of Congress come back. Well, let's switch gears a little bit, Larry. What about trade? What's going on there? Well, it's a three-front war, so to speak. Uh, we have, for example, we're looking at places like uh, Japan. We're looking at a trade war with China, of course, and then we are also having a trade war in the European Union. We'll start first with uh, Japan, mainly because later this week, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is supposed to be coming to Washington to meet with President Trump, and they're trying to get together on implementing a U.S.-Japan trade agreement, a 
group of major farm groups uh, has called for an uh, implementation of uh, agreement. The biggest problem is is that Japan has cut tariffs on ag imports from the European Union and the TPP countries. And as a result, exporters from the United States of wheat, beef, pork, dairy, wine, potatoes, fruits and vegetables, and all other products, they're facing the collapse of the Japanese market share. And you'll just recall that it's only been in the last year and a half that Japan has made moves to bring beef back into that market, American right. beef into that market. So there's all kinds of stuff on here. And, and the groups have told the U.S. Trade Ambassador Bob Lighthizer that an agreement with Japan must include uh, market access provisions that at least equal the terms of TPP and the Japan-European Union agreement. You don't know what's going to happen there. Then you have China, and you've got a group called Americans for Free Trade. They just published a letter to uh, the president calling for various duties to be lifted on Chinese goods. American Bakers Association, Crop Life America, National Confectioners Association, the Fertilizer Institute, Grocery Manufacturers Association, they've all asked for immediate removal of all tariffs if they can get a, a, a deal signed here. They're really adamant about getting these tariffs uh, eliminated, but at the same time deal with, uh, in a real way, China's unfair trading practices. And they have to avoid any enforcement mechanism that would trigger any future tariffs. This group wants a, a meaningful agreement, but tariffs have already been proven to be the wrong way to go. Next, you got the European Union, and they've already said that if they're going to go ahead and, and do any kind of trade agreements with us, they won't do any trade agreements on agriculture, just industrial products. That's If leaving that out of the picture, that's going to be a real downplay, but... As President Trump said here a while back in Minnesota, uh, quote, we've had massive trade negotiations, as you know, because our farmers haven't been treated properly for many years. If you look at the European Union with the barriers they have to agricultural products and so many other things, and yet they can sell Mercedes-Benz and then they can sell anything they want in our country, including their farm products. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of folks here that are are looking at this as being a disagreement, even though that Mercedes-Benz now makes cars in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's it's really uh, interesting, going to be a very interesting conversation as they continue those talks as well. You also uh, asked about uh, uh, what's uh, happening here on the uh, moves by the uh, uh, Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Right, we've got uh, some office movements, don't we? Yeah, possibly. Secretary uh, of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, has said in a recent Agri-Appropriations Subcommittee hearing that he's going to announce the finalists for the locations for a move out of D.C. for those jobs by early May. There is still a lot of disagreement about making those about those those moves because they're going to take out about 250 jobs out of Washington. Uh, that's just for ERS alone, and NIFA will move uh, about 315 to the new site. It's talking about slashing the workforce of the uh, research service in half, and that's stuff that a lot of people have used over the years to have get good research and good data on agriculture. That's stuff like National Agricultural Statistics Service 
and a lot of other things. Basically, uh, it's the data that really sells our products overseas because our country is unlike other countries where we're very open and honest with what we collect as far as our market data and our yeah. research data, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as, as Sanford Bishop, the head of the uh, House uh, Ag Appropriations Subcommittee, which is going to have to fund this move, told a chief assistant to the secretary who's basically running this move situation. It says like you're turning on your head and refusing to look at existing plans to move ERS and NEFA into other USDA buildings as their leases expire. He said that you didn't have any data that says that you're losing employees because of the cost of living. And so that was the, the real compelling argument was that we, they were losing people because of the cost of living in Washington. Well, they couldn't find any any data on that. And that's, again, one of those things, you know, show us the numbers, and they ref are refusing to show the numbers. And so a lot, of, a lot of people on the Democratic side are saying that this is purely politically motivated. Then to top it off, USDA is paying $345,000 to the consultant firm, the accounting and consultancy firm of Ernst & Young, to help find these new facilities. And there's 68 sites under consideration. One of the members of Congress, it's a Republican, says here that, you know, that two of these sites were close to Washington, College Park and Montgomery County, but none in the more rural areas of the state. And if you're really looking at cutting costs, why are you being honest? And so a lot of people are thinking that they're going to move this stuff up to College Park or Montgomery County in Maryland rather than just move them, keep them out of Washington. Mm -hmm. But they'll still be in the D.C. area. So there's a, a, a lot of stuff here to consume on this. And again, it's all very political, and a lot of it is oriented around the elimination of research. And some, some critics say it's a fact-free government. So take it for what it is, think about it, and there you go. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> we could probably talk for the rest of the day about it. Well, it's good to hear from you today, Larry. Hey, it's wonderful to talk to you and uh, help our farmers uh, learn more of uh, what's going on and how all this stuff affects them back on the farm and ranch. It's, uh, it's really important stuff, too. There's more than just the weather out there, and I hope all of you have good weather for planting and be safe out there. Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Pride Ag Resources on April 16, 2019. Corn was down at $3.44. Wheat was down at $3.72. Milo was down at $2.94. And soybeans were down at $7.43. For generations, High Plains Journal's classified ads have been a go-to resource for all of your farm and ranch needs. And soon we will bring that same service and commitment to the digital sphere with our upgraded classifieds online. Check your upcoming issues for more details about this service or call 1-800-452-7171 to talk to one of our account executives. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email.
next week's print issue of High Plains Midwest Ag Journal is our Meat Goats issue with a cover story from Jennifer Thur. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes April 29th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of